Blog Talk Radio. Shauna the Dead, wasn't it? When you've seen whoever laughed whenever that song showed up during the credits. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, And that was the... Go ahead. Oh, no. No, uh, no. Finish your thought there. And that was the gonk. One of the most famous pieces of library music ever. All I was going to say, I was not actually going to comment on that. I was going to let you finish your thought on that. What I wanted to say before we got started on tonight's episode was that, unfortunately, we were not able to celebrate the seventh anniversary of your first ever podcast on Sunday. So I just wanted to congratulate you on... uh, on all your uh, years of uh, of the podcast, and uh, obviously you and I got started writing for uh, the the webzine before the podcast yeah. ever started, and we've had a lot of fun doing podcasts off and on. But uh, so you know, just a you know round of applause for uh, for seven years of podcasts, man. That's that's commitment. You've been uh, you've been doing them and. You usually do a couple. Yeah, and we hit our 10,000 mark uh, Sunday. We've got over 10,000 listens now. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, let's dig into tonight's episode. We'll we'll dig into tonight's episode where we're going to be, like, uh, you started it off with the, the funny little... Uh, yeah, Shaun of the Dead nod, but we're uh, we're going into uh, George Romero tonight. Yeah, yeah. George Romero, born and born and bred in Pittsburgh, and if you've ever been to Pittsburgh, Romero is an institution there. Yeah. Oh yeah. They even have a giant statue toward him they put up after he dead died. Huh. And, and I there's was thinking, a bus to... Oh, yeah. There, there's, uh, there's that. And uh, um, I guess 
it's an in joke. I can't remember which one of the Kevin Smith movies it's in though, where he wears, you know, Kevin Smith always wears the hockey jerseys. Oh, Zach and Mary wear Zach and Mary make a porno. Yeah, Zach and Mary make a porno, and he has. Yeah, uh, that one's actually set in Pittsburgh. Right, and uh, it's not supposed to take place in the same mall, but uh, one of the characters wears a hockey jersey that has, that says, uh, uh, what what's the name of the mall in Dawn Monroeville of the Dead? Monroeville Zombies. Uh, Monroeville Zombies, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> That's a funny yeah. little joke. Yeah. Oh, so. those sell like hotcakes up there. Oh, yeah, I bet. So, the earliest, the earliest thing that I can think of when I think of George Romero, and I think it's one of the coolest things ever, uh, you ever, you must have seen the Calgon commercial that he did. Oh, yeah, the Calgon. Yeah, yeah it's kind Boy. of based on, it's based on Fantastic Voyage. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they most of the cast from Night of the Living Dead in it. Right, right, yeah. Now, I don't know if he did that before Night of the Living Dead or not, but... He did that before. That was where they got their uh, money to make Night of the Living Dead. That one there, and that they had an NFL film contract. Right, right. And they were the biggest commercial-making company at the time. Huh. It's not easy to find a copy of it. Even, I mean, I have a lot of George Romero DVDs and Blu-rays, and I I don't believe that it's on any of those. I, the only place I ever saw it was on uh, on YouTube. Somebody pointed me towards it. Yeah. Uh, the Elite. Yeah. It was on the Elite Laserdisc, which is one of the first Deluxe editions ever done for a horror film that wasn't right. Criterion, you know. Yeah, yeah. I have I have a laser disc player, and I do have quite a few laser discs, but that I don't think I have any George Romero on on the laser discs. No, that's because they no. cost. That's because they cost a shitload. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> really, oh, man. I think the elite. Uh, only place I ever seen it sold was uh, an autographed copy that Kyra Chiron sold at a convention once. And she wanted a hundred dollars for it. Hundred dollars isn't that much, but still, it's more. I don't know. A lot of like. Around here, if you go to a shop that has laser discs for sale, they usually let them go for like you know five to ten bucks a piece because not a lot of people have laser disc players. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so. she had her copy signed by uh, the guy who played the sheriff. Uh, John Russo had signed it. She had signed it. Uh, Romero had signed it. Kinsman had signed it. Right. But then. The funny thing about that is, okay, so you spend a hundred bucks for that. How many times can you? I mean, think about how many times can you slide that in and out of your laser disc player before all those autographs just get rubbed off? 
you know? I mean... <laughs> well, I got so, that many autographs on it, I would frame it. Right? Yeah. Uh-oh. But yeah, he may... Uh-oh. Oh, no, I... I got a guest. Uh, I got a guest here. Uh, uh, my cat Ellie. She wants to join in on the conversation. Apparently. Well, Princess <laughs> is already here. She's laying next to me. She always. But uh, yeah, I mean, well, Night of the Living Dead created the Pittsburgh filmmaking community. There wasn't any before that. Right. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and. Night of the Living Dead. And he had said himself that it was a mix of Invisible Invaders inspired him and Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. Yep, yep. Which makes sense. He had a short story he wrote. Have you ever heard of it? A Night of Anubis? Yep, yep. Yeah. It was a story told in three acts. The first act was guys with guns chasing a zombie over a hill, shooting at it. And the second act is the same as the three other guys a little bit later getting overwhelmed by the zombie. And the third act, which is that much, was the same exact shot as the first of the story except that it's three zombies with rifles chasing down humans. (laughs) Yep, right? Yeah. No, uh, I I think, uh, um, I think Night of the Living Dead shares more in common with uh, I Am Legend, um, but still, um, not not exactly, you know. I mean, anyone who's ever read I Am Legend, or especially if you've seen the Will Smith version of I Am Legend, uh, it's kind of, yeah, you know, it, it's kind of divisive. But um, the uh, the Vincent Price version of I Am Legend, which is known as uh, Last Man on Earth, actually uh, skews kind of towards uh kind of more towards Night of the Living Dead. Um Yeah. I Yeah. The and thing I that everyone that. took from I Am Legend is it was the first horror novel to take the horror take horror away from the gothic. Edgar Allan Poe's the Dracula, the Frankenstein. And put right. it flatly in modern suburbia. Right. Right. Yeah, and it's kind of funny that, um, you know, when Romero did Night of the Living Dead, I mean, I know it was a, I know it was a, you know, it was a a money issue. I know that he didn't have a lot of money when he did it, so they said it, okay, let's film in a cemetery, let's film in a farmhouse, you know. It's, it's almost like the same... Uh, the same menu that Sam Raimi used when he made Evil Dead. You know, I don't have a lot of money, so let's go to a secluded location and we'll just 
film everything there and do what we need to do there. But it's funny to me that, you know, uh, his very, I guess it wasn't his next film, but when he did The Crazies, The Crazies is almost the same film as Night of the Living Dead, but it, it is more of like in a sprawling suburban area. And of course, as we as we work through his uh, filmography, we'll get to like, you know, once he had bigger and bigger budgets, the the sets got bigger and bigger, which you know, of course, is understandable. You know, that's what happens yeah. with most amateur filmmakers. But um, yeah, so but of course, uh, everyone knows the sad, sad story of Night of the Living Dead. Um, Every single one of us who is interested in uh, horror films has a copy of it because a thousand and one uh, distribution companies released it because George Romero accidentally forgot to put the copyright on the film head when he released it in theaters. Yeah, because originally it was titled Night of Anubis after the short story. But then they were like, who wouldn't know what the hell Anubis was when Anubis is the god of, is the Egyptian god of the dead? Yeah. So right. maybe about two or three weeks before the film came out, they switched title cards from Night of Anubis to Night of the Living Dead, and they forgot to put the copyright on it. Yeah. And that enabled the company that distributed them to steal every fucking cent from the movie. Now, I believe... Because it was immediately public domain because of that. But I believe, I'm not 100% certain of this, but I believe I read something online that uh, after George Romero passed away that his family was able to... uh, Retain the copyright. They they were able to obtain the copyright. We'll get into it more when we do the Night of the Living Dead sequel show. And yes, there is enough. And you guys are going to be shocked how many actual fucking sequels to Night of the Living Dead they are. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? We'll get into the copyright issues there. Let's just say they've been they tried throughout the years to get it back, and finally they did. Yeah. I forget how, but the Criterion is the first legal release of it that the guys from Image 10 is getting paid for it ever. We talked about that a little bit last week, I think, when we were talking about Return of the Living Dead, because isn't isn't that how Return of the Living Dead uh, came to be? That... Uh, well, yeah, when the Image 10 guys busted up, and they pretty much busted up after night because neither of them knew which way they wanted to go. Right. And, but and Romero that and uh, Jan Russo ended up making a softcore porn film called The Booby Hatch. Right. Yep. Yep. And... Well, uh, if you haven't seen it, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. No. It's bad. But it's not bad. <laughs> I mean, it's sad that we're already getting into Romero's worst movie right now. 
And we're just on the <laughs> second one. And that will be There's Always Vanilla. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, God. To, to me, um, to me, Romero's career kind of follows De Palma's in some ways. You know, like, like De Palma, you know, Brian De Palma would put out, like, a really, like, groundbreaking film and do something really amazing. And then the next movie he put out would be, like, some ridiculous, like, even even after he wasn't a student anymore, he was still kind of releasing student films once in a while, you know? And that's yeah. what this one yeah. That's what this one feels like to me, man. There's Always Vanilla just feels like a student film to me, you know? Like, no, no, it's just like, yeah. And Yeah, when you first see it, we're like, why is this a bonus on Season of the Witch? And then we watched it, and we're like, oh, yeah, no one would buy it as is. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? It's your basic hippie movie from the late 60s about a guy who's rebelling against the system man, but finds out he's going to have to give in. <laughs> right. It It's like a light. Uh, we talked about this before too. It's, it's like a, um, it's like a lightweight version of American nightmare or combat shock. You know, it, it it's like a lightweight version yeah. of that. It's like, and the title comes from one of the stupidest speeches I've ever heard. You're at an ice cream parlor, and you have all these fancy exotic flavors, but there's always vanilla, and it's always good. <laughs> right? Uh, it might as well. It, it might as well just be called, you know, sex is like pizza. Even when it's not good, it's still okay. <laughs> yeah. Even when Meryl has said the movie's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. And you next, know, I, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yep. We can pass over that, but what was you going to say to finish up about there's always vanilla? Oh, no, I I didn't have anything else to say about it. I was just... And what? And Season of the Witch... Well, Meryl said he had liked to remade it because he considers it one of his almost films, and I do too. The idea of it is great. I mean, when Annabella sort of did an update with it with the Love Witch. Yeah, I don't know. I never cared for Season of the Witch. Like, I don't know. I. That's why I call it an almost film. It was almost ideas were great. It was almost something, you know, almost great. Yeah. I it I don't know, it just bores me, like but there's a lot of there are a lot of film genres that in the past um I was never particularly interested in. Like I never really liked vampire movies. I never really liked movies about witches and I know season of the witch isn't particularly about 
witches per se. There's a lot going on in there. There's a lot to unpack if you watch that movie. But I don't yeah. know. It just it just never yeah. never really never really interested me. I as yeah. as I've mentioned, I'm not saying it's a great gate film or good. It's one of those the ideas there. And yeah, well, you say right. Anna Biller's a love witch, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, you, that movie proves that uh, Caesar the Witch can be done and done good. For sure, yeah. But, you know, I think the sad thing about this is I think between Night of the Living Dead and The Crazies, I think George Romero was still trying to find his legs. Like, he had good ideas, yeah. but he wasn't he wasn't really... He wasn't really there yet, you know? Like, he didn't really know. Notice that, that when someone, Tarantino's a rare exception, who come out and knock it out of the fucking park with their first film, usually their next two films aren't that good or they just can't follow it up. Right. Well, even Tarantino, I mean... Even Tarantino stumbled a bit, and I'm not – this is a critique of my own, as we often talk about on our show. We all know Tarantino is the favorite director. But, yeah, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, two amazing back-to-back films. Now, I love Jackie Brown, but I think a lot of people fell off the Tarantino – train because Jackie Brown was not what they expected as a follow-up to Pulp Fiction, you know? You know? It's a it's a slow-moving film, and it has, it works a lot more on character development and doesn't yeah. rely, you know, it doesn't rely so much on action and, uh, well, you know, and... Well, Tarantino, if he was going to get into his two bad films, it would probably be well, four rooms, but yeah, yeah. And next, well, four is, most people like this, but I like the remake better. Oh, I'm going to get hung for this. I like the remake better of the crazy. Really, that's like another one that better? even he has said that it's a great idea, but it really wasn't 200 percent of the film he could have made. Well, like I said before, I think the crazies is uh it's kind of like Night of the Living Dead but uh with a more sprawling Except, you know atmosphere and pro alcoholism. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's not the only just, one who doesn't get affected by the virus is the alcoholic who doesn't drink water. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cheers to that. He introduced uh, some of his uh, usual crew. Uh, the black guy who's in the next, who's in the next three movies of his, of course, Richard Liberty. Right. Yep. Like I said, I I think the reason that I do enjoy the crazies is because it's very similar to Night of the Living Dead, but uh, it doesn't. It's not like a bottle episode. It it takes place all through the town. So I I think it 
mm-hmm. it's a little more kinetic. It gives it gives some energy. I mean, not that there's not that not like there's not a lot of action in Night of the Living Dead, but it all takes place in in the one farmhouse, you know. So yeah, I think I think what I like about the crazies is that it uh yeah it it you know it, they sprawl out across the town and there's lots of action mm-hmm. um but yeah I don't know. I don't know about the remake though. I mean, I, I only saw the remake once. And so what what do you prefer about the remake as opposed to the original? It's what Romero probably would have done if he would have remade it. He was the executive producer. He said he loved it. He loved how they went more into the action part of it and had even less talking than he did. Right. Right. Well, again, like this was still early on in his career and even as much quote unquote action as there is in Night of the Living Dead, even uh what uh I can't remember the character's name, the guy who eventually comes up from the basement where he's got his wife and kid down there, even he's like enough talking, let's do something. <laughs> so you know, yeah. even uh, even Romero made a kind of tongue-in-cheek comment about that in Night of the Living Dead, that, yeah, too much talking, not enough action, you know. And so I, I can yeah. see it. Yeah. Yeah. But it is but, good. Yeah, I, I, I didn't – I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I just – I only saw it once, and I was kind of like, yeah, okay, cool. But, you know – I'm also really wary, like, when it comes to remakes, I'll watch them, you know, just to see what they're all about. But a lot of times I'm just like, eh, the original was better. But I guess on this one I'll flip a coin because The Crazies isn't a great movie no matter what, as far as I'm concerned. It, it's kind of, it's it shouldn't have been the, it shouldn't have been the next, movie that uh, Romero did. But again, you know, not everyone comes out of the gate with like four hits, you know? So this was kind of weird. It was kind of a weird string for him after having a big hit with Night of the Living Dead, which again, as we spoke about earlier, he did not make much money off of because he forgot to copyright it. But <laughs> Uh, well, that's always yeah. been a problem with Romero, but we'll get into that when he just gets into it. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. He never was much in the money, and that was the problem. Yeah, right. And so what do you got? next film is one that he started. His first script was a film about the, the serial killer who calls in to... Uh, radio station and tells about his murder. Right. Thought that he was he would add in about the death of the steel industry and small town Pittsburgh, which was taking place at the exact same time. Right. And then he's like, Well let's make the serial killer into a vampire. Or isn't he? I love Martin. I love the fact that he doesn't Say, is Martin a vampire or not? 
Yeah, it's it's a Martin is a very intriguing film, and if anyone out there listening has not hour cut. Yeah, yeah the yeah the longer cut is even more interesting. It's if you haven't anyone listening, if you haven't seen Martin, if you're a George Romero fan, go see it. It's uh, check it out. It's it's uh yeah, it's a very mesmerizing film and it is yeah, it is ambiguous. It's never really they never really define whether or not he's an actual vampire, but he definitely does drink blood. So is he just mm-hmm. a direct serial killer or is does he actually need the blood as vampire lore suggests yeah. that you need, you know, to, to yeah. survive? Yeah. It, what it, it, it is a shorter cut? Go ahead. Finish. Oh, no. No, I was just going to continue on with my rambling, hey, if you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the so, thing that's missing from the longer cut, which I've seen, and if you, the closest I, I remember seeing it is that if you can find an original thorny MIVHS tape, it's a two-hour cut. And there's a lot yeah. more footage about how there's no magic. Like, there's a lot of stuff about him going around performing magic tricks and then showing how he did it. Yep. And then it's like, there's no magic. <laughs> right. And it really does get into how uh, that that suburb where he's living in with his uncle is dying. Again, it seems to draw on that same, uh, you know, I keep bringing this up uh, again and again in multiple podcasts. I keep bringing this up, but you know, uh, it, it it brings up that same kind of, like, combat shock feeling about, like, yeah, maybe that's just my go-to movie when I think about Urban Decay in the 70s. But, you know, it, that it always comes back to that for me when I see these movies, you know. And like you said, yeah, the the suburb that he lives in or the, yeah, just the whole area that he lives in, everyone, everything's just going to shit. And I guess, you know, maybe that was just, I'm sure that's probably what Pittsburgh was like in the seventies. So maybe that's why, uh, why Romero keeps going back to it. But yeah, it's, uh, you yeah. know, sign of the times, sign of the times, I guess, you know, and after he made Martin, well, for all these years after Night of the Living Dead, the thing he was fighting hardest against was uh, doing a sequel to Night of the Living Dead. But um, but it was such a hit over in Italy that. This guy who had two, just come off two big hits in America, uh, you might have heard of them, uh, Profondo Russo and Suspiria? Mm-hmm. 
came to him, and he really couldn't get any work at the Martin. And he was like, I'll pay half of the movie if you if you do it for me. If <laughs> you did it for European rights, so Dario yeah. Argento grabbed Romero, took him over in Europe and sent him in for an apartment and they wrote what well, is the original script of Dawn of the Dead, which changed a lot before it hit the screen. Like, in the original version, it was like just a cut Adam and Eve hiding out in the mall. And they find in the freezer, it's just little differences. Yeah, uh, I actually... Uh, bodies of, that they were training uh, zombies. Dawn of the Dead is my favorite uh, Romero film. And I have a spectacular box set which features all every cut of the film that was ever released. Um, and it also has um, what you're talking about. It also has a copy of the original script, which you're right. Mo- mo- more of that... Um, more of that storyline ended up in Day of the Dead, but um, I I still even though Argento did his own cut uh, for Italian cinema, I still prefer the uh, the original Rome, Romero version. Um, yeah, the cut or the director's cut. Sorry, folks, that longer the canned cut. It was one that Romero was still editing, and it's like, Ken's coming up. We need something. And he stopped editing and just <laughs> added the beginning credits and added uh, library and added the Goblin score and library music and then sent that out. And that's what the Ken's cut, the second longer cut, is. His final yeah. cut was one, two hours and five minutes with credits. Yep. Right. I don't know though. I mean, I love Dawn of the Dead, and you and I were talking about this earlier before the show. Um, I, as as much as Night of the Living Dead kind kind of set the tone for what zombie movies might be like in the future. Dawn of the Dead well, is definitely the benchmark for where. Yeah. I mean, I mean it put the rules in stone because look at the zombie films that came out after uh, Night and before Dawn. They were, they were like, uh, Don't Open the Window, aka Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue, The Blind uh-huh. Dead. They were still doing their own rules. Yeah. Right. And even... Uh, children I mean, shouldn't play with dead things. Right. Children shouldn't play with dead things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't really until... It actually wasn't really until Zack Snyder did his remake of Dawn of the Dead that we started to get the fast-running zombies, as far as I can remember. Uh, no, 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 no. Those guys back in 85 that took over Louisville were going, fuck you, motherfucker. 
Return of the Living Dead was the first one with the fast-running zombies. Or Nightmare oh, City by Umberto Lampy, but they're not zombies. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. Uh, like Zombie Nightmare, which I think is is just another name for yeah for the same movie. But yeah, Romero uh, set in stone that uh, shoot him in the head and you'll kill him. It really became the law after Dawn was a hit. There's not too many zombie films that came out where it was a cube in the head, they'd be dead. Although, ironically enough, that's how Night of the Living Dead ends when we see Dwayne get shot in the head because they think he's a zombie. Yeah. You know? The uh, original so- ending of uh, Night, which we didn't get into, was uh, Barbara as a zombie jumping in front of him and saving Ben's life. And Ben said something to the terms, uh, well, Dwayne Jones said no. What do you mean? A black, you want want a riot? Then have that ending, because a black man would, black audience would rather have a black man die than be saved by a white woman or a white person. Right. That's so ironic because you know you've heard the story as many times as I have, but uh, you know that movie was considered so progressive because it had an African American uh, star. But George Romero has said over and over again, I never thought about it. I just, you know, I auditioned people, and he was the one who I thought was best for the part. You know, yeah, he was the best actor they knew. <laughs> yeah, right. He wasn't. He wasn't trying to make a statement, but you know, it happened. I guess. But I mean, Dawn of the Living Dead takes place three weeks after night. That's how quickly things go to hell. Right. Yeah. But again, we were talking about this before. Huge huge increase in budget over any other film that Romero had done at the time. I mean... Well, that's because uh, the movie, they was already in profit before they even made the money because of how much they sold the movie in the Italian rights. Right. And now... Can you imagine a movie nowadays, period, when a filmmaker could walk up, like you owned the mall, and I walked up and said, hey, let me just run wild ass through your mall. <laughs> right? No. <laughs> I'm like, no. I mean, it was just like Romero and Tom Savini said, he said, it was just wild. We woke, we showed up there at uh, fucking 9 o'clock when everything closed, and they threw the keys to us, and he said, make sure it's clean before the walkers come in in the morning. <laughs> it's that has to be like the big, the larger version of what Kevin Smith was thinking when he did Clerks. He was just like, hey, can I just borrow the store overnight to film my movie? But I promise uh, I won't make a mess in here. And then he just went in there and effed it all up all night long for months on end while he was making his movie. Like, yeah, uh, like what? What do you think? If you're running through a whole mall at night, messing around, uh, 
and filming yeah, riding motorcycles through a fucking mall. Yeah, right. Like, like who do you think cleaned that up before the mall opened in the morning? Like they did. They me. did. <laughs> yeah. I I hope they did, man. I worked as a custodian for twenty five years, and if I came into the office, uh, you know, or in, in if I, I never worked at a mall, but if I came into the mall at four thirty in the morning and there were motorcycle tracks and you know fake blood everywhere i'd be like what the hell (laughs) oh shoot speaking of motorcycles next up is your favorite romero film you want to take the lead on this one yeah yeah, this film was made right before he did his studio first studio film and if you watch Knight Rider, you can tell Romero knew that it was the end of an era. Because that whole movie just has that whole sadness where he realizes that he's going to have to get bigger, but he doesn't want to. Well, it's a very ambitious film. I mean, it marries two, it marries two different uh, genres. Um, I'm not sure at the time that motorcycle movies were still particularly popular. Um, but when he brings in, uh, the whole like medieval reenactment thing. Barbarian. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's a very strange film. Uh, I'm not really sure how to feel about it. I do I do like it. And like I said, as with every uh, Romero film, it's definitely got his fingerprints all over it. You can, you can see his style. And there's something of... It's not just about his directing style, but he has a very... Um, recognizable just color palette and um you know mise-en-scene you know like you can always tell when you're watching a Romero film yeah but there's one scene in it and you need to look it up to really understand Knight Riders and it's I played it I gave you the clip and I was I forgot to upload it but it's a fireside thing and where they're talking about how they just love running running terracing through the fields and stuff but they need to do two or three big gigs to pay for that and King Billy don't want to do that because as in his words yeah I don't know it's a very bizarre film if anyone listening has never seen George Romero's Night Riders you, you should take it you should take an hour and a half out of your life and watch it because if you're a Romero Two hours fan, and 40 minutes, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen I, the longer cut, which is three hours. Yeah. The one that I have is, uh, is two hours and two and a half hours. Yeah. The one that I have is two and a half yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think mine is the old VHS copy from when I worked at the video store. 
Yeah, what, I, what happened was uh, uh, the movie channel back in when they started had this thing they called director series where they would show like director's cuts or longer cuts of movies when they were copying the Z channel. Right. For some reason, I lucked out and I didn't even know it was a longer cut until I got the DVD and I was like, hey, where the fuck is these other? Mm-hmm. 20 minutes right. I'm missing that makes that makes the movie make more fucking sense <laughs> well if anyone listening has uh, Amazon Prime it's uh, it's available on Amazon Prime it's included with your Amazon Prime account so you can watch yeah. it so but yeah so but <laughs> watching Night Riders after seeing how Romero and his career told up, the movie makes a lot more sense and it's a hell of a lot less stranger. It's scary how he knew that ultimately his way of life is going to be a failure. I mean, well, he would have been happier if he would have stayed in the king as King Billy, just doing his little independent film, not needing studio financing. Well, I think about that a lot, too, again, uh, like with Tarantino, like, uh, do you think after Tarantino uh, got, you know, had so much success with um, Reservoir Dogs, do you think that he just pooped everything into uh, Pulp Fiction because he was like, well, if I never get to make another movie, I'm going to make the the movie that I really want to make, you know, like yeah, he had the and he, he had the out bu- that he got Harvey Weinstein as a benefactor. Yeah, yeah. now uh, you know uh, now what we know about Harvey Weinstein. Who knows what he had to do to get that paycheck? <laughs> no, he, remember him and Kevin Smith were his golden boys. He never fucked with them. Yeah, I know. I talk about that all the time uh, because uh, I was watching uh, the the newest Kevin Smith movie actually just yesterday. Uh, I had seen it before, uh, but the the the, the uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and uh, I had of course I've seen the newest uh, Quentin Tarantino films, and yeah, I mean. But I was talking to Abby about it uh, yesterday, yeah. and I was saying, how ridiculous is it that, and I think you and I have talked about this before, how ridiculous is it now that these directors, Kevin Smith, uh, Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese, how is it that directors like this have to go begging for money now to get movies made. It's like they're all proven it's because money. Kevin Smith fucked up his one chance to be a hired gun. Yeah. Well there's no doubt about it that uh yeah yeah uh what's the name of the movie? I can't think of it, but yeah, it's his worst it's his worst film for sure. Yeah. Uh yeah. what the one Bruce Willis and Cop uh, Out. Cop Out, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's aptly named, at least. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a terrible film, but it's definitely not his. He definitely didn't work it out. And, uh, you know, that's why no. I'm so. That's why I'm so irritated about the fact that Tarantino keeps talking about how he might end his career on a Star Trek movie. Like, don't, don't effing do that, dude. Like, don't, Star Trek has nothing to do with what you've done with your career. Like, write one last, because he keeps talking about how he's only going to do one more movie. But then he says crap in interviews like, oh, well, if I do a Star Trek movie, that's not going to count towards yeah. my my ten movies. Well, so does Jackie Brown not count? Because you didn't write that. Elmore Leonard wrote that. I mean, so now what? Now you got two more movies that you can do after you do Star Trek? Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dawn of the Dead gave us something that most people really don't talk about. How many times have you heard from the younger fans talking to you, how did you guys get to see crap like Zombie, Geek of Hell, and -and so-and-so, all the Italian gore films uncut in the theater? Right. Dawn of the Dead made money. (laughs) As a matter of fact, it once held a record, and the record was it was Ten thousand dollars for twenty showings on HBO. Damn, I never knew that. Yeah, but yeah, I have to say, you know, as I said, Dawn of the Dead is my favorite uh, Romero film. But if I had to pick my second favorite zombie movie of all time, it would be Lucio Fulci's Zombie. That that mm. movie is awesome too. Uh, I don't know. I like a lot of Fulci movies anyway, uh, not just the zombie ones. Like that that guy, Fulci had a way of just pushing buttons where you know he could he could make just every movie that he made was terrifying. Yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> And don't worry, when he is on the show, yes, I gave John Amplis much shit about his costume at the first of Dawn of the Dead. (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget that the ending of Dawn of the Dead changed, too. Because in the original script, uh, Kim Foree's character shot himself. And uh, Fran stuck her head in the helicopter. Yep. Yeah. And they, yep, they changed that at the last minute and said, well, it's better if they fly off and have a happy ending. But what's the happy ending? I mean, you know, what do they say? Oh, let's find it. It wasn't supposed to be a happy ending. Originally, it was supposed to show them flying off. Then, as the last shot before the. End of the credits, you're supposed to see way off in the foreground uh, an explosion, which is supposed right. to be the helicopter running out of fuel and crashing. Right. And but they, they decided say, just to end, you know. Right. 
when they're taken off in the helicopter, oh, I guess we'll find a happy, you know, we'll find an island somewhere or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah. And I, the most important, one of the most important scenes happens at the ending, foreshadowing what's supposed to go on in Day of the Dead, which is uh, there's this one zombie that runs around with this holding the machine gun. And then at the end of the movie, it shows him grabbing Peter's gun and then looking at it, looking at the machine gun, looking at it, and then grabbing the deer rifle and then Peter running away. Right. Yeah. So when we get to Day of the Dead, we've got Bud. Yeah, Bub. Bub. (laughs) Bud. I'm thinking, but now we're on to his really his second hit in a row. Well, no, Night Rider's flop. Just I love it, and it's his best film. It's not exactly one for the best, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, and this yeah. one, if we were talking about favorite Romero films. For both fans, this will be number two runner-up after Dawn. Exactly. This is this is a funny thing because there are only a few directors that I can say across the board I love all of their films. Romero is not one of those directors, but Dawn of the Dead is one of my favorite films of all time. And Creepshow is one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah. I mean, that one, and he just, that time he worked with big actors, had a decent budget. He brought back Ed Harris. Right? I mean. It's just fun. Yeah. There's it, no way around it, that. Creep show the first creep show the movie is fun. Yeah. Yeah. If if you're if you don't if you don't like creep show, then you don't have a soul or a sense of humor. That's all I can say about there's that. More, yeah, it, there's gonna be one story out of that that no matter what, five that you're gonna like 'cause this is a right. rarity for an anthology film. There's no real girls in it. No, there's no no, there's no duds. Um and that's funny that you say that because you know, with all of the streaming uh services that I have where I've got, you know, Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime, a lot of times when yeah. I'm home when I'm home in the evening I'll just scroll through and I'll see something that says, oh, yeah, you know, horror anthology, and I'll just watch it. And half the time I'll just fall asleep because I'm like, yeah, this isn't really doing it for me. Or I'll turn it off because I'm like, don't care. But, yeah, like Creepshow is the benchmark, man. That was the that. I mean, even even going back to, like, the, uh, you know, the old uh, – British anthologies, even the original like Amicus. Uh, Tales from the Crypt and and stuff like that, like yeah, even as entertaining as those are, they're not as fun as Creepshow. Yeah, like meteor shit. <laughs> meteor shit. <laughs> yeah, 
know, uh, even the even the tagline for a creep show says the most fun you'll ever have being scared. Yeah, you yeah. know. And and, uh, there's, there's so many good quotable lines that people quote, and you know exactly what you're talking about. Like, I got my cake. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, or Leslie and, Nielsen. This was the first time. This thing even came out before Airplane. That Leslie Nielsen showed how funny he could be in a movie. Yeah. Right. Right. I can hold my breath for a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Or, of course, no, Albert Holbrook's classic. Just tell it in your belly. <laughs> oh, right? we got 10,000. I'm bringing it. Don't answer this. Uh, here's two questions of the trivia contest, and I'll bring up and I'll post the whole thing. One, was a George Romero film ever involved in a criminal case? And two, who was the original star of the crate, but because of rights issues, which ended up not being a rights issues because of who the studio was they sold it to, they had to change the character's name. What's the prize? Yes, originally its name wasn't Fluffy. <laughs> What's the prize for whoever answers the question? Oh, so far it's uh, Men, Women, and Chainsaw, a women, a book, a horror, one of the first serious horror books written by women, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, a book about uh, Wes Craven. And a LeBron and a LeBron James pop figure worth thirty five dollars. Wow. Yellow him in the yellow Lakers outfits with the purple and white Nikes. Someone's getting over tonight. Now wait, if. What if two different people call in and both answer correctly? You going to split the prizes down the middle? No, or I want to do a first... drawing of the winners. Oh, all right. Well, I'm probably not. I'm probably not. The whole I'm not, eligible. I'm not eligible yeah, since not I'm. Eligible. I'm not eligible since I'm a co-host and I know the answer to these yeah. questions, but. <laughs> yeah. Just tell us your name is Billy. <laughs> just, just and of course that ending story. If you were afraid of bugs like Tom Savini was, <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not really creeped out by bugs per, in particular, but yeah, mm-hmm. that. That one's pretty disturbing. Um, but, of course, my favorite of of those, uh, of the segments of Creepshow is The Crate. That one is amazing. I love that. Uh, Weaver, Al Holbrook, and, of course, what's their name? God damn it. Adrian Barbo. Good old 
Barbeau, what's her name? <laughs> yeah, Adrian Barbeau. Adrian Barbeau. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's great in that. Uh, I also really loved her in Swamp Thing. Yeah. Yeah. She has so. a funny story. She said she got on set and she said, how do you want me to... How do you want me to play this? And he said, "Be a cunt." Said, <laughs> right? I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this was a big. This was a decent financial hit. Yeah. And because this was a hit, this is why there's such a long time between Creepshow and his next movie is. Well, George Romero and Rich Moonson said, okay, let's start the whole anthology TV show craze again. Right? Yes, originally, Telson's Dark Side was supposed to be show, the television show, but they decided to create their own thing, and we got Telson the Dark Side. God, that made Saturday night so much fun, just waiting for a new episode of it. I do love Tales from the Dark Side, but I my my one my one thing about it is that it's so cheap looking. Like on the backside of Creepshow, the Tales from the Dark Side series, even the best episodes, just I mean, they look cheap. You. You've even, I'm sure you've even read interviews with people who say, you know, one day it was a cardboard box, the next day it was painted gray to look like a rock, you know, like, they they didn't, they didn't have the best budget. I mean, they, they did what they could with what they had. And, you know, I do love it. I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to talk crap about it, but it was just, uh, it was. Uh, I I mean I guess I can't really say anything because I love horror anthology shows and I mean going back and looking at the Twilight Zone from the 50s and 60s and going back and looking at you know other shows even from the you know like Monsters uh, you know like yeah they were low budget shows just meant to entertain briefly but yeah. Well, look at what happened because we got Tales from the Dark Side. It was such a hit that we got amazing stories. The Alfred Hitchcock Presents Revival. The new Twilight Zone. Yeah, that's funny. I, nightmares. Uh, I, was, I told you earlier that I was going to eat a sandwich and watch the Twilight Zone and take a nap before we did the podcast tonight, and I watched the 2002 Twilight Zone. Uh, which Why? I, I haven't watched as much of as the 80s Twilight Zone, but holy crap, if we're talking about the 80s Twilight Zone just for a minute here, the 80s Twilight Zone brought me one of my favorite uh, episodes ever. Uh, the uh, Joe Dante's episode, The Shadow Man. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. The 80s Twilight was... Zone is fucking amazing. It's, yeah. Of all of the big budget ones, the, the right. Twilight Zone revival was the best. 
The worst I would put is amazing stories outside of a couple of episodes. Uh, the head of the classroom where it had uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd as a psycho teacher after who they accidentally cut his head off in a voodoo ritual and they bring him back to life and he becomes like Dr. Hill from Reanimator. <laughs> right. The only uh, episode, I don't know, the only episode of Amazing Stories that I really like, I mean, it's Steven Spielberg. And, I mean, I love Spielberg when he's doing, like, Indiana Jones. And um, he has directed some amazing films over his career. But a lot of times he just too sick and sappy for me and I just get bored with his nonsense uh, but um, there was an episode of Amazing Stories and I do not believe that he directed it but he was the executive producer on Amazing Stories but mm-hmm. uh, there was one where uh, a meteor falls to earth and turns a kid into a magnet do you remember that one? yeah uh, yeah, and then... And don't uh, forget the remake of The Secret Cinema that uh, Paul Bartel did that was freaking great. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I actually have the it original... It has one of the greatest endings. Yeah, the original. The, I, you I remember have what the, the original. ending of The uh, Secret Cinema was, the ending? On the uh, amazing stories, yeah. No, I no, I I don't remember. I remember that he did it, but I haven't watched it for years. Yeah, what happens is that it shows the credits in the TV show, then it fades out to an audience, and there's the Blands watching it, and right. uh, Paul go and Mary goes. You know what? I like the original more. <laughs> nice. And yeah. uh Paul looks there and goes, Yeah, and the director's a hack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I have a I have a VHS tape that has uh the secret cinema and one of their other short films on it too. I can't remember yeah. what the other one is off the top of my head, but, but yeah. yeah. Again, Wayne tells from the dark side and the troubles that he was having. After Creep Show, Romero would say, Let's get ambitious and decided to make a sequel to Dawn of the Dead, finishing it up. For the But he couldn't get the budget he wanted. I mean he originally wanted seven million for this epic giant action-oriented movie where the ending was going to be uh, a squat zomb- a squadron of zombies fighting for us, fighting other zombies, a zombie on zombie war. And it was definitely going end of the saga. Or so he said at the time. But he couldn't, but they said, okay, if you want it unrated, we'll let you do it for half of the money. Because he was smart, because 
the MPAA was really getting strict around 84, 85. I mean, I guess Day of the Dead does have some pretty graphic gore scenes in it, but not until way late in the film. Yeah, but this is the time where uh, the ending was supposed to be her and him dying together. Her dying and giving him a kiss. And the MPAA says, you can't have him kissing. Why? That'd be necrophilia. That means he's giving him Yeah. I guess I can see that. I mean, even like, I, the, like, the version of Necromantic that I have on Blu-ray doesn't yeah. even have doesn't doesn't even have a rating on it. It's just like here no. you go. You well, freak. that was never released theatrically over here. That was straight to video. Oh yeah, no, it yeah, it was never released theatrically. But I'm just saying the version of it that I have is just like yeah, there's no rating. Just watch it, you friggin' celiac. You freak. Yeah. <laughs> you can say that the bar was set too high with Dawn of the Dead. But when right. we finally we got Day of the Dead in 85, after all the hype and stuff in Fangoria, we were prepared for an epic end to the zombie trilogy. Not a bunch of assholes that were unlikable, trapped in a basement, trapped in a bunker somewhere. The fans yeah. fucking hated it. The critics yeah. fucking hated it. My friend Corey liked Day of the Dead more than he liked Dawn of the Dead, and uh, we we argue back and forth about it sometimes. I'm just like, how can you like Day of the Dead more than Dawn of the Dead? I mean, if we're talking about a post-apocalyptic world that's filled with zombies, wouldn't you rather be at the mall than be living in an underground bunker? And I know they kind of tried to smooth that over by saying, oh, well, down here in the bunker, we've collected all the records and music and, you know, whatever, comic books or whatever they, they say that they've got down there. I don't know, because they claim that they've got a bunker that's filled with all kinds of artifacts from when our world was still functional, but they never really yeah, accessed I mean, 
mean, with, uh, I mean, I think a lot of times we, we see nowadays directors who, uh, you know, they like the directing, they like the visual aspect, aspect. Um, but when it comes to writing, they're just like, all right, I'm going to bang this out over a week and we'll just see what we come up with, you know? Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it has played a point across the board. Joe Pilato, great. Jerry Clark, almost everyone in the whole movie is great. But then they're yeah. not supposed to be likable. And that's kind of hard to get used to. Usually I'm against the whole friendly uh, protagonist to follow, but there really isn't no <laughs> right. No, no. I when you're I, a kid, I think... you don't like them all, but once you're an adult and you see the helicopter guy, you're like, "Fuck this shit! Let's just get the helicopter and walk into an island and make babies and just go fishing for the rest of our lives." When you're a kid, you're like, "Fuck that! We need to stay here." Yeah, I don't know. I now now that I'm like almost fifty years old, I'm kinda like, eh if I was in that situation I would probably have just stayed in that little camper down at the bottom of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, it's not the film it could have been, but it's still good. For sure. Yeah. I don't know. I just, again. The amount of hate that it got when it first came out. Again, I feel like, you know, I don't like it as much as Dawn of the Dead, but again, like I said, you can feel it's got that Romero feel to it. Like, you know, you can tell it's a George Romero movie just by watching it, you know? Yeah. So, and that, that kind of starts to diminish as we get further up the, uh, up the list here. Um, the next film on his list here is uh, produced, which was, uh, the movie that people have been wanting for years, and that's Creek Show 2, which has one great story, the closer, one okay story, the middle one with them trapped on the raft, and one right. horrid piece of shit. Yeah. 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 You, you think the closing story... Here, if you're making an anthology film, or even just telling jokes. Do not open with the worst joke on your set because you've already lost them. Hello? Hello? Oh, yeah. I thought I lost you. Yeah, but do you agree with me that if you open with your weakest joke or segment in the movie, you've lost the audience already. 
Yeah, I I get it, but like, yeah, I mean, if you if they had opened with the raft segment and then done the hitchhiker segment and then ended with Chief Woodenhead, I don't know if they would have kept. Uh, I don't know. It's it's you know, a Chief it's Woodenhead, a. There's just I would have just start seeing how horrible the dailies of it were coming out. I would have scrapped it and see if I could do another story because right. There's no well, way that that, that that it's just bad. It was like a reject from Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, well, it probably was a reject from Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, um, but you really think the hitchhiker segment is better than the raft segment? Yeah. No, no. The Raft is the best segment from Creepshow 2. Um, I will tell you I will tell you some cool facts about um the Hitchhiker segment. Um mm-hmm. I lived in I lived in Bangor for many years and I recognize all those locations from where they filmed that. They actually filmed that uh in Bangor. Uh of course, you know Stephen King is the one who pulls up in the, you know, in the eighteen wheeler and says, "What happened?" You know, like he plays that yeah. character. But, but yeah, um, I I can recognize any of those locations every time I watch. Uh, every time I watch it, I'm like, "Yep, been there, no there, been there." You know, um, yeah, it's it's kind of neat. Um, but here's a funny little, uh, piece of trivia that people might not know. Um, when, uh, when the cheating wife who leaves the, uh, the penthouse to drive back home before she runs over the, uh, before she runs over the hitchhiker, uh, she actually drives the wrong way up a one-way street. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> I know that's the one thing when they film film movies where you uh, live, like uh, striking distance. It was filmed in Pittsburgh, but there's some scenes like uh, where uh, Bruce Willis is chasing the bad guy in the car, and they make a turn onto another street. Right. The street that he turns into is five miles away from the street he starts turning into. <laughs> you know, things like right. that. Right? Yeah. I don't know. It's funny. But like, yeah, Creep Show 2 was all right. It was didn't do that good. Well, but now we like, have a film that is good, but you keep talking all these. You can tell Romero's style. Monkey Shines yeah. is a good movie, but it's the least Romero Romero film that he ever did. You're right. There's it really none of his touches in it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like one of his movies. Like like I said, you know, a lot of times you can really see his style, you can see his color palette, you can see you know, like what 
what makes it look like a Romero film, but Monkey Shines does not feel like that to me. Yeah. It, but he it, does it pull it off. It's not that bad a movie. I like it. Yeah, I like it as a film. I just, it just don't feel like it looks like a Romero film, you know? It just, like, uh, it's almost like, you know, when you watch uh, Poltergeist and everyone's like, oh, Toby Hooper didn't direct Poltergeist. That that was just, you know, oh, Spielberg directed that, but he just put Toby Hooper's name on it, you know? No, you can tell which scenes pretty much uh, Toby Hooper did and which one were Spielberg moments. Right, right. I mean, I'm not disagreeing. There's there's an argument to be made. I'm just saying that with Monkey Shines, it kind of feels like someone else directed it, and then they were just like, ah, slap Romero's name on it. Then I'm not saying that's what happened. I have I have no evidence or research to back that up, but it just doesn't feel like a Romero movie at all. Yeah, yeah. it's still a good movie, though. Oh, yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's a really good movie. And by now, he's left Laurel, and he sold all of his rights to Dawn and Day of the Dead to uh, Stein. Right. Which proves that when it comes to money, he's a fucking idiot. And he'd be the first one to tell you that. Oh, yeah. Right. I don't know. It's hard to, I mean, when you're negotiating something like, you know, movie rights, just any artistic rights, it's hard to figure out how to do it the right way. Like, like we were talking before about like Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino, like, yeah, they lucked out because they were the cash cows for the for the Weinsteins for so many years that they never really had to go out and look for money. But then again, as we spoke about earlier, when you go looking, you know, when you're Martin Scorsese and you've been a hit maker for years, you have to go beg money, you know, beg for money to make enough. Well, there's a difference between uh, Kevin Smith and a $2 million, $4 million film, which, Dan Silent Bob call and wanting a hundred fifty fucking million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> right. Kevin Smith be like, and hey then, man, uh, can I borrow can I Kevin Smith be like, hey man, can I borrow fifty bucks to make a movie with my friends? <laughs> I already own the camera and the equipment and, and my ex uh, yeah. My ex-boss told me I could film at the quick stop. (laughs) But, yeah. Next is, well, after Creepshow 2 made a decent amount of money at the box office, they were really wanting a Creepshow 3. But they decided that instead of going for a Creepshow 3, they would do something else because Tales from the Dark Side was winding down and it already had two seasons of Monsters, which really wasn't that good unless you like Monster of the Week TV shows. 
And so we got Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, which is very under-fucking-rated. Yeah, I like I like the Tales from the Dark Side movie okay, but to me, the, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, is to me what Creepshow 2 to you. Sure. I feel yeah. like... I, I feel like the I feel like the stories are out of order and that I probably would have enjoyed it more if they if they, you know, put the stories in a different order and drew me well, in. How more. Would you put the, what order would you put the stories in? Well There's I no really way need- that you're not gonna have the one with the gargoyle. And and uh, James Remar is the closer. That one has to be the closer. It's that good, right? Yeah. No, I I I don't know. Um, which one? The first one is yeah. the one with the mummy. Yeah, and and that's the one with Christian Slater, right? Yeah, and Steve Buscemi. Yeah, and Julianne Moore. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they did put it in the right order, but it's still like... Yeah, because Cat, Cat from Hell is great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm sorry, but you haven't lived until you've seen David Johansson running around with a cat attached to his crotch and him trying to smack the cat off of it. <laughs> well, what about... uh? This is switching topics, but what about um, when, uh, I mean, it wasn't Romero's segment, but when they did Two Evil Eyes, uh, who who was the one that directed The Cat from Hell? They came out uh, in the same year. Romero's segment and Two Evil Eyes, God, I... I was so disappointed in that the tears ran down my eyes. Yeah, his segment wasn't great, but who was who did was it Dario Argento? Dario Argento and the Black Cat. God, that is yeah. so good. Yeah, he did the Black Cat. That was a good one. Yeah, right. Talk about a crazy cat segment. Yeah, that was good, but. But this is the time he had the falling out with Tom Savini, and that was over the uh, really the first attempt, the, the first really big attempt for them trying to get the rights back. Not with Night of the Living Dead ninety, which is a good film, but it's not Tom Savini's film. Oh no! No, what? Not not the one that Tom Savini directed. No, he did direct it, but uh, Russo, Steiner, everyone else was throwing their shit in, and Romero was uh, busy with Two Evil Eyes in his next film to really be there to have Savini's back. Right. And so they had sort of their big falling out over that. Well, that seems odd. I mean, if did did uh, Romero give him 
like his okay, go ahead and remake Night of the Living Dead or or no? Yeah, because like I said, this was their first attempt to try to get the rights back and to make some money off of it. Right. And it was the other, it was Russo and the yeah, other. Yeah, John Russo, uh, Russell Steiner, uh, Bill Hensman. And they were all second-guessing any choice that uh, Tom Savini ever did. And if you've ever watched his two episodes, Tells from the Dark Side, that he did. Yeah. They should have just let him go. Yeah. Well, I I like the I like the remake of uh Oh yeah, of, it's good. Oh yeah, I, it's good. It's just not the film that, you know. Yeah. I I I mean, I always thought it was a cool remake and of course, I mean, Jesus, as a as a fan of horror movies, of course I love uh Tom Savini, you know. So yeah. yeah, I always thought that and was Patricia neat. Patricia Tallman was great as Barbara. Right. Uh, Tom Towles was great as Harry Cooper, and of course Candyman himself was great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's all politics, man. It's all Hollywood yeah, politics. Yeah. And it's because uh, Romero didn't have his back like Romero said he would. But he said, well, basically, fuck, they had to falling out. Right. Because between producing Dark Side and doing the Dark Half, I like the Dark Half, the book, but... Yeah. The I ending don't know, man. was a literary construct that worked as a literary construct, which means <laughs> right. there's no way in fucking hell that it's going to work as a visual construct on a movie. <laughs> right now, see and Timothy Hutton was that was miscast. Yeah, I did not appreciate Timothy Hutton in the dark half, and uh, I don't know. I just didn't. I didn't care for that film at all. Again, this is another one that I didn't really feel like had what we were talking about before. Like, it doesn't have that look. It doesn't have the look or the feel of a Romero film. It feels like... The studio and Timothy Hutton fought until they cast him as both the bad guy and the good guy. But did you ever see uh, Miller's Crossing? Of course I've seen Miller's Crossing. Yeah. You know the guy that played the Dane? Yep. That's who Romero wanted as George Stark, the bad guy. Right. So he still wanted Timothy Hutton as the good version. Yeah. But but he wanted the Dane as the bad guy. Yeah. Imagine how much yeah. better that would have worked. Yeah, that would have been much better. Yeah, D- Timothy Hutton's great as the, like the ineffectual writer dude who's trying to, uh, you know, do his thing. But yeah, it, it. I guess 
I guess the point of the story is, of course, you know, I've read the novel, and of course, uh, I, I get what they were going for there, was having the same person play the good guy and the bad guy, but uh, yeah, Hutton was terrible as the bad guy, yeah. I mean, that was miserable. I don't know. That was really, and I have to say, I'm going to have to say right now that where we're going into the, we're going into the dark end of the amusement park here because. We really uh, are at yeah, his first the, retirement because the dark yeah. ass came out in 1993 and he didn't do shit. Yeah. Everything that he did after the dark half, including the dark half, which I did not particularly like, everything else that he did, I'm probably not going to have anything nice to say about. But, I mean, hey, yeah, we still got to. I'm going to fight you over, but that's just me. But we can talk right, about some well, of his unmade project. Like, uh, he had a version of The Mummy that sounded fucking awesome. That he really? had written. Yeah, his version so, of the mummy was going to be the mummy having to keep his wrapping together with all of uh, anything that he could find. So imagine the mummy with one arm's wrappings made out of a steel radial tire belt and the other <laughs> one barbed wire. You know. Right. Well, that sounds like it would have been amusing, but I don't know if I would have, I don't know how much fun it would have been, but I, it sounds like it would have been fun. Yeah. But And there know. was Apartment Living, which is, you remember that one episode of Tales from the Dark Side that seemed like a longer movie script cut down with the dragon in the apartment walls and you wasn't supposed to put pictures on the walls? Yep, yep. Originally, he had a whole movie script designed around there that, he tried going, he would couldn't. He couldn't find any financing for shit in the night. Right. Well, that's what I was talking about before. Like, I can't believe all these successful directors have to go around begging, you know, borrowing and pleading for money. And I understand Romero wasn't ever a huge box office smash, but, I mean, Jesus, if you, if you make you know, 30 movies in the course of 30 years, then somebody should be willing to give you some money, you know? But. And then there's a film whenever someone tries to defend it, I just bitch slap them and say, shut the fuck up. I go into Jewel Winfield mode with them. Yeah. And that's Bruiser. God, this movie. This isn't a Romero made a shit movie. It's whoever would have made this would have made a shit movie. Yeah, uh, I am going to agree with you 100% on this, man. I was like, there was a video store near my house uh, that always had just like the most obscure movies you know, they always had the most obscure, like, uh, like every movie that I heard about, like, you know, urban legend films that I heard about growing up that I never could see, this video store had them all, 
it was a super cool video store. So I would go there all the time and rent movies. And on the new release rack one day, I saw Bruiser. I picked it up. I read the back. I saw George Romero. I was like, boom, I'm there, baby. I watched it. And I was like, this is the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen in my life. And you know what pissed me off even more about it is I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of the Misfits. The Misfits are in the movie, but it's not the real Misfits. It's the it's the fake version of the Misfits. There's no Glenn Danzig in there. Yeah, the one that the one that is uh, the one that was led by the racist piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, it was the fake Misfits. Yeah. I I was yeah. not happy at There's all. Only one good thing about Bruiser, but this guy's always the one good thing in almost every movie he's in. That's Peter Strommeyer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, his character it's... is just great. You wanted to follow around him, not this pussy guy with no face. <laughs> right. Yeah. And after this, go ahead. Nope. Say your bad thing about Bruiser. Say another bad thing about Bruiser, is that what you said? Yeah, if you're saying a bad thing about Bruiser, you can take (laughs) (laughs) No. I don't have anything bad to say about it. It's just the worst. George Romero movie ever, as far as I'm concerned. Even I mean, worse than There's Always Vanilla. <laughs> yeah, yep. I I would rather watch There's Always Vanilla than Bruiser. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and next one, this is in the summer 2005. We're like, what? Romero has another dead film and it's hitting theaters. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and Land of the Dead is one hell of an action movie. Yeah. Um I like I like Land of the Dead. It's a fifty fifty for me. Um like if they hadn't changed the last third that was in the script it would if they would have kept the last third that was in the script, God Tell me if this sounds better to you. Uh, you know the scene where uh, uh, John Link was almost character was almost killed by the by the bad guys and the sniper. Yeah. Originally, when the zombie attacks them, Big Daddy and his crew walks out, walks up to uh, the main good guy's name. And throws him a machine gun. Yeah, right. And Big Daddy and his crew and the guys from Dead Reckoning and the poor. If you notice, the zombies don't kill any poor folks in that movie. Right. They end up killing the rich people. Yep. And so, it was, and the ending of the movie was going to be Big Daddy 
and uh, the main guy standing next to each other holding an American flag while you're hearing the rich guys get killed in the background and fireworks going <laughs> off and God bless America. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like the original ending of Land of the Dead was what we were talking about uh, back on uh, Day of the Dead, where the zom- like the two zombie armies were going to fight against each other. But yeah. even the even the ending of Land of the Dead that actually surfaced in the film also kind of seems like like it's that uh, like it's a it's a realization of that it's a uh, you know like you said the zombies go and kill all the rich people and uh, you know it's it's a similar type of uh, yeah, I guess resolution. You know, hey, you're all a bunch of yeah. rich morons. You know, and you know, like uh, land of and the if dead. You notice every one of the zombies in land are middle class people. They're not poor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, and then even uh, you know Dennis Hopper in there is. Uh, is he's the he's the rich guy, but he's uh, still a schlub, you know. He's still kind of a schlub. Like he, it's in it's indicated that he wasn't rich before all of this happened. That he took advantage. Yeah. It, you know, uh, it's like um, the Walking Dead. You know. Uh, and this is something that I wanted to bring up before I mentioned this to you earlier, but like how the walking dead uh, was influenced by Romero's films. Obviously that's, that's not a mystery to anyone, but like Negan in the walking dead was obviously a scumbag before all of the zombie stuff happened. But then he, he made his move, you know, and was like, yeah. oh, now I can take advantage of this situation, you know. And Dennis Hopper has one of his greatest moments ever in Land of the Dead. Yeah. When he shoots the guy in the head and he answers the phone, hello? I just think, I think I just did a big mistake. <laughs> right? Hmm. And John Leguizamo, which had a joke, which I laughed at in the theater, and I was the only one who got it and laughed. Like, and he said, like those poor zombies, then he looked at the zombie and it showed it was a zombie pushing a lawnmower, and it turns out this was an improvisation by him. Like that poor Mexican out there, and then it showed him pushing (laughs) a lawnmower, and then, (laughs) like, ah! Right. It seemed like yeah. I was the only one in the theater who got most of the jokes in the movie. Right. Everyone I else know. was expecting. I don't know what the hell they were expecting, but they were like, what is this? I'm like, I love it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, that's the thing about, you know, like you and I, you know, we sit around and talk about, about movies and 
the thing that uh, drives my wife crazy is I'll read stuff on the internet and then I'll, you know, she'll be in the other room and then I'll just go out ranting and raving and I'll be like, you know, how do people not understand how to watch movies? Like, do you not get it? Like, what are you not understanding? You know, like I'll, I'll, I'll read, I'll read movie reviews or, you know, uh, I, I read those articles. I should never read those that are like 32 things you yeah. never notice about your favorite movies. And then I'll be like, no, I noticed. We already know. <laughs> but yeah, or the, or the moment when uh, Big Daddy finds the zombies hung upside down used for target practice. The look in his face. Eugene Clark was great in this. Right? Yeah. But now so, we're at the dark eyes, which was Diary of the Dead. I can remember it came out the same week as the Funny Games uh, remake. Diary of the Dead did pretty decent at the box office. Funny Games, no one went to watch besides me and this poor woman who was a fan of the actress that starred in it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't care for either version of funny games i mean i don't know it's it's all right but i mean yeah it's yeah but the point is um, is that people were like i'm like are you gonna get yeah isn't it great a great horror film opened up i'm like yeah funny games and i had just seen diary of the dead which seemed to me was this old man griping about these kids and their fucking newfangled technology. Well, see, when they first announced Diary of the Dead, I was actually excited about it because it seemed to me like it was going to be uh, a film that it seemed like they were going to do a thing where they all of the footage was going to be from like traffic cameras and video cameras outside of convenience stores and people filming stuff on their cell phones. And I I thought it was going to be like a really neat concept where they were going to string all that footage together and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, make like tell the story of uh, people trying to survive the zombie apocalypse, but that is not what it ended up being at all. I mean, it's got some of that stuff. It's got some of that stuff, but nah, it didn't. Yeah, it has it its work. moments. Yeah, for like sure. One moment I would keep, and it has one one of my it has one of my favorite all time characters in the Romero Dead universe, which is the world's toughest Amish guy. I wanted more <laughs> with him, damn it! All right, <laughs> it, he's like yeah, he uh, holds up a like, sign, and you're like what? And he just holds it up, points at it again, and they look at it, and it just says duck. He's like, what yeah. the hell? And he throws a stick of down in my boom, kills three zombies. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I like this guy. <laughs> but then they end up killing him five minutes later. And that really does show the problem with Diary is they have, they have interesting moments, but they kill him too quick. He's like the priest from uh, Dead Alive. I kick ass for the Lord. Lord. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the biggest gripe I, I have about Diaries of Dead is that the movie didn't have no fucking ending. Right. Well, I think they were already planning for the sequel, you know? Yeah, what it is is they were going to follow three branch-off characters like uh, the next one in Romero's last film. Honestly, watching it, I don't think Romero – you know you said that earlier about Monkey Shines. This one I'm like 90% sure, and I will fight to my grave saying that Romero did not fucking direct this fucking movie. Right. Survival. Because he left the Land of the Dead during its last six weeks of production for undisclosed right. reasons. To me, right. looking at him at that time, that's when I think he got sick. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. For me... There's nothing quiet sur- in Survival of the Dead that's seems to be Romero, besides that his name's on the fucking DVD cover. Right. And it's, uh, for me, Survival of the Dead is a lifeless film. Like, I don't, no pun intended since it's a zombie movie, but I don't know. It it feels like more of like a, uh, trying to piggyback off of the new wave of you know, zom- fast-running zombie movies and just nonsense that, that you know, it it's a sad film for him to go out on because it feels like it's, it's the culmination of everyone who's aped off of his original Night of the Living Dead and built on it oh, and no, built on it. We ain't. We're right now at the culmination of the people aping off. Uh, The so-called book that Romero wrote, The Living Dead, came out, I think, the first of this month, where it's supposed to be the entire dead universe tied together. Oh, God. Yeah, please, let's don't. (laughs) Yeah. Don't beat a dead horse. Don't beat an undead horse. (laughs) Right. Don't beat an undead horse. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> no. I mean, I appreciate the fact that there are so many, you know, writers and directors out there that are trying to keep the whole zombie thing going. But at the same time, I'm so exhausted by it, Stephen. I'm just like, no, it. it we don't need it. Like, I haven't even... I haven't even watched the last two seasons of The Walking Dead. I'm just like, no, no, you guys made your point. I'm done with that now. And I flip through Netflix. I flip through Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime looking for movies to watch. We've already gotten the best love notes already to uh, the Dead series, and that'd be Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, Shaun of the Dead is brilliant. I mean... Uh yeah, all uh, I love uh I love anything that Edgar Wright does anyway. Like all of his movies and TV shows are except for Scott Pilgrim, which is a piece of shit, and always be a piece of shit. And if you like it, you were either once or are a douchebag. 
All right, well, then I'm a douchebag. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I just hated everything about that movie and the comic series. The only good thing about it was the video game, which sadly you can't even get anymore. I never read the comic book or played the video game. I just I just bought the DVD. I had never seen the movie. I just bought the DVD because I'm an Edgar Wright fan. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely my least favorite of all of his films. But I I still like it. But, yeah, it's it's wacky. It's wonky. But, I mean, if you really think about it, it kind of marries along with his – you know, the T V series that he started out with spaced. It it it's yeah. kinda married you know, it's 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 kinda married to that in in spirit. But how know. sad is it that Romero wanted to do something else besides the dead films and that's why it took so long for Di- Diary, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead to come out. Because he tried so hard to not have he done that. And during his last year, his only films that he could get made easily were yeah. zombie films. Yeah, they. It's kind of, like I said. We were talking about this earlier. It's like all these directors who have to go begging, like hat in hand, to studios to try to get stuff done, and you know, it's like, oh well. Romero, you're really best known for your zombie films, so make some more zombie films. And he's like, I don't want to make any more zombie films. And they were like, well, then we're not going to give you any money. You know? It's like... Kevin Smith was like that, too. I mean, look at Jersey Girl. It's a good movie. Yeah. But his fans right. were not willing to grow. <laughs> right? So he got making the same fart and shit and dick joke movies over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, we talked about this the other day, I think on one of our other podcasts, we were talking about Scorsese with the Irishman and we're like, yeah, great movie, but didn't I already see this when you made Goodfellas and Casino and Mean Streets and, you know, like... Yeah. Romero, I mean, Scorsese ended up being stuck being the mob guy. Yeah. I mean, he didn't didn't always. He did a lot of other, uh, like, kind of offbeat films that, you know, weren't really in his wheelhouse, but... He didn't yeah. have to beg for money well, we'll for those. Because I think we need to do is another retrospective on down the line is a uh, Scorsese period. Yeah. Yep. I think so. Yeah. So. And I'm sorry. Think... We're probably gonna. I'm probably gonna catch a lot of shit from Romero fans for not liking Days of Dead. <laughs> well, it's just I that hate... after. Dawn of the Dead was still fresh in our head. I can see why a lot of younger fans wouldn't like Dawn of the Dead because 
in a way, sitting in a mall has dated it because the malls really don't exist anymore or mall culture. Yeah, but, I mean, that actually, that endears it more to me because now that there aren't any malls, isn't that where you would go if there was a zombie yeah. invading? I mean, it's, it's yeah. I don't know. And let's be honest. The Dawn of the Dead remake was good. But if you had another title but Dawn of the Dead, it would be more loved than it is today. Yeah, that's that's true. I definitely had a chip on my shoulder about it because, like I said, aside from just George Romero films, Dawn of the Dead is one of my favorite movies ever anyway. So if... If they had just put that movie out as a zombie movie, I would have just been like, cool. But the fact that they called it Dawn of the Dead kind of irritated me. But that's just my that's just whole, my whole thing. Like I said, chip on my shoulder. Well, that's I what don't James like, Gunn said, too. He said that he had to catch an amount of unprecedented amount of shit just because they buried him with that name and that legacy. Yeah. Yeah. I just... I just, I always have a chip on my shoulder about remakes and reboots, even if they're good. I'm just like, ugh, you could have done this exact same thing and just named it something else, you know? So. Yes, but we also think that the 88 Blob is a classic. We also think that the 1902 thing is a classic, and the 79 Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a classic, and so is. The remake done by Abel Ferrara, written by uh, Stuart Gordon and Dennis Palloy. And Larry yeah. Cohen is a classic. You're right. You're right. Yeah. No, you're right. All of those remakes are classics. Yeah. No, I don't disagree. And, and that proves that yeah, one yeah. thing that we're honest about on this show. We're hypocrites. <laughs> We hate everything and we love it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And thank you all for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. And I don't know what's coming up Sunday, but Saturday me and Fred are probably aren't gonna be doing a rewatch of Joker. Cool. All right, Stephen, thanks for uh, joining me tonight, for hanging out, and uh, again, happy seventh anniversary. Okay, thank you very much, and goodbye, everybody.